Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a glass of white wine. What are you having, Jenny? I'm drinking a cranberry vodka. On this episode, we're exploring the life of Dr. Jack Kevorkian, known for his use of physician-assisted suicide. Murad Kevorkian was born in Pontiac, Michigan on May 2, 1928. Kevorkian got the nickname Jack from his American friends and teachers. His parents were both refugees who escaped the Armenian massacres that occurred shortly after World War I. His parents were strict and religious and worked hard to make sure their three children were obedient Christians. Kevorkian, however, had trouble reconciling what he believed were conflicting religious ideas. His family regularly attended church, and Kevorkian often railed against the ideas of miracles and an all-knowing God in his weekly Sunday school classes. If there were a God who could make his son walk on water, Kevorkian insisted, he would also have been able to prevent the Turkish slaughter of his entire extended family. Kevorkian debated the idea of God's existence every week until he realized he would not find an acceptable explanation to his questions and stopped attending church entirely by the age of 12. His parents had high academic expectations of their children, and as their only son, Kevorkian had even more pressure. However, he was a strong student that enjoyed reading and art. He also enjoyed debating with his teachers. He was placed in advanced classes, and at the age of 17, he graduated high school with honors. He attended the University of Michigan with hopes to study engineering, but he lost interest quickly and switched to biology with hopes of going to medical school. In 1952, he graduated from medical school with a specialty in pathology, and in 1953, he served 15 months as an army medical officer in the Korean War, then finished his service in Colorado. During his residency, Kevorkian showed a strong interest in the acts of death and dying. He made regular visits to terminally ill patients, photographing their eyes in an attempt to pinpoint the exact moment of death and to help physicians understand when resuscitation was useless and to help differentiate between coma, shock, fainting, and death. He wasn't afraid to share his controversial views, including proposing that death row inmates be used as the subjects of medical experiments while they were still alive. In 1958, he advocated his view in a paper presented to the American Association for the Advancement of Science. This earned him the disdain of colleagues, the nickname Dr. Death, and an ejection from the University of Michigan residency program. He continued his residency elsewhere and proposed that doctors transfuse the blood of corpses into injured soldiers. His research was highly successful, and he thought his work would help injured soldiers in battle when a blood bank was not accessible. He was so confident in his work that he pitched his research to the Pentagon and was eventually denied a federal research grant. This solidified his place as an outsider in the medical community. Kevorkian contracted hepatitis C during his research for this project. After qualifying as a specialist in 1960, Kevorkian moved around the country and published more than 30 professional journal articles and booklets about his philosophy on death before setting up his own clinic near Detroit, Michigan. This business ultimately failed and Kevorkian moved to California for work. These jobs also ended quickly, and Jack claimed that his career was doomed by physicians 
who feared his radical ideas. He retired at a young age in the early 1980s when he decided to focus on painting and composing music. By 1982, Kevorkian was living alone, occasionally sleeping in his car, living off of canned food and social security. He became interested in euthanasia after a trip to the Netherlands where he learned about techniques used by Dutch physicians to assist in the suicides of terminally ill patients. He began writing about quote-unquote metacide and the benefits of euthanasia. He then created a suicide machine he called quote-unquote the Thanatron. Greek for instrument of death, which he assembled out of $45 worth of material. The Thanatron consisted of three bottles that delivered successive doses of fluid. First, a saline solution, followed by a painkiller, and finally, a fatal dose of the poison potassium chloride. Patients who were ill could even administer the lethal dose of poison themselves. He advertised in Detroit newspapers for a obitorium where terminally ill people could receive quote-unquote death counseling. Media attention led to the first of his metacide clients, Janet Atkins, a 54-year-old woman with Alzheimer's, to contact him. Atkins was a member of the Hemlock Society, an organization that advocates voluntary euthanasia for terminally ill patients before she came ill. After she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, Atkins began searching for someone to end her life before the degenerative disease took full effect. In 1990, Kevorkian assisted Atkins in ending her life. He called several churches, nursing homes, funeral homes, and other facilities, but they would not let the procedure take place there. Instead, the procedure had to take place on a bed inside his 1968 Volkswagen van parked in a campground near his home in Michigan. Kevorkian attached the IV, and Atkins administered her own painkiller and then the poison. Within five minutes, Atkins died of heart failure. He then called the police who arrested and briefly detained him. He was charged with Atkins' murder, but the case was later dismissed. Like so many families that would follow, Janet Atkins' family publicly thanked Dr. Kevorkian for helping to end her suffering. In early 1991, a Michigan judge issued an injunction barring Kevorkian's use of the suicide machine. That same year, Michigan suspended Jack Kevorkian's medical license, but this did not stop the doctor from continuing to assist with suicides. Unable to gather the medications needed to use the Thanatron, Kevorkian assembled a new machine, the Mercitron, which delivered carbon monoxide through a gas mask. The following year, the Michigan legislature passed a bill outlawing assisted suicide designed specifically to stop Kevorkian's assisted suicide campaign. As a result, Kevorkian was jailed twice that year. He was bailed out by lawyer Jeffrey Feger, who helped Kevorkian escape conviction by successfully arguing that a person may not be found guilty of criminally assisting a suicide if they administered medication with the, quote, intent to relieve pain and suffering, end quote, even if it did increase the risk of death. In 1998, the Michigan legislature enacted a law making assisted suicide a felony punishable by a maximum five-year prison sentence or a $10,000 fine. They also closed the loophole that allowed Kevorkian's previous acquittals. Yet, Kevorkian continued to assist patients. That same year, he mailed a tape he'd made of the death of Thomas Yoke to the CBS TV news program 60 Minutes. 
Yauch suffered from Lou Gehrig's disease, an incurable disease that destroys an individual's muscles, and had requested Kevorkian's help. Yauch had lost the use of his arms and legs, had trouble speaking, and was in immense pain even when breathing and swallowing. And as many of his friends and family said, he was afraid of choking to death on his own saliva. On the recording, Kevorkian asks Yauch if he wants to go ahead with the procedure, and Yauch agrees. In the video, it's clear that Kevorkian administered the drugs for Yauch. Yauch was capable of administering his own drugs, but Kevorkian told him it would be more reliable if given by the doctor. During the broadcast, Kevorkian shared that he viewed euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide as an American right and essentially dared the courts to pursue him legally, stating that they'd prove who was right. Prosecutors took notice, this time bringing a second-degree murder charge against Kevorkian, since Yauch did not administer the drugs himself. On March 26, 1999, a jury in Oakland County, Michigan convicted Jack Kevorkian of second-degree murder and the illegal delivery of a controlled substance. That April, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison with the possibility of parole. During the next three years, Kevorkian attempted to pursue the conviction in an appeals court. His request was refused. Lawyers representing Kevorkian sought to bring the case to the U.S. Supreme Court, but that request was also declined. He was released for good behavior in 2007 after serving eight years in prison. He promised not to assist in any more suicides. After his release, Kevorkian began touring the lecture circuit, speaking out about physician-assisted suicide. On June 3, 2011, at the age of 83, Kevorkian died at Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak, Michigan. He had been hospitalized for about two weeks with kidney and heart problems before his death. His attorney said there were no artificial attempts to keep him alive, and his death was painless. It's estimated he helped over 130 people end their lives. We've talked a little bit about physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia, but what are your thoughts on Dr. Kevorkian himself? So I think that Dr. Kevorkian was a very disciplined but misguided individual. I definitely disagree with his views on it, and we're going to talk about that more a little later. And I think that once the laws were put in place, he should have obeyed them. And the fact that he was sort of goading the Michigan state um, legislators to create more and more restrictive laws probably had the unintended consequence of affecting a lot of other people. While I think that it's always okay thing when someone is pursuing their passions, I think that he should have found a better way of advocating for euthanasia if that's something that he wanted to do. How about you? I also have some mixed feelings on him. He seems like a very cocky, stubborn person. But like you said, Del, he's very disciplined. And he, to me, is the epitome of like the head over the heart. And I really respect that because he didn't let his emotions really get in the way of his work and his research. And not a lot of people are like that. And we need people like that. I support euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide, which... Again, we are going to talk about more in depth a little later. I do kind of agree. I don't necessarily like the way he went about it, particularly after he lost his medical license. I think maybe then he should have stopped. I completely understand why people kept going to him because who else was going to take care of their needs? And I don't love the Tom Yalk situation because Dr. Kevorkian knew what he was doing. And in that 60 Minutes interview, he basically says he made an example out of Tom and that Tom was hesitant about that at first, but then he agreed. And that that doesn't sit right to me. I don't like that this man that was in pain was made an example 
I've read a lot from patients' families, and I really respect their support of Dr. Kevorkian and how much they appreciated him ending the suffering for their loved one and their family. Again, I have some mixed feelings. I guess I ultimately do support him, even though I don't like the means that he went about things. Because I think that he did a lot for this conversation, which we're going to talk about in a second, but he's a very complicated person. I understand why people have complicated feelings toward him. Before we get further into our discussion, we wanted to define euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide, which we did previously talk about on another episode, but just as a refresher, here are the definitions of both. So euthanasia is when a person is allowed by law to end their life by painless means as long as the patient and their family agrees to it. It can be divided into passive and active. Passive euthanasia is the intentional ending of one person's life by another, motivated solely by the best interest of the person who dies through the deliberate withholding of life-preserving substance or procedure. It is sanctioned in some circumstances by the AMA's Council on Medical and Judicial Affairs, and this includes intentionally letting a patient die by withholding artificial life support, such as a ventilator or feeding tube. Active euthanasia is killing a patient by active means, for example, ejecting a patient with a lethal dose of a drug. Physician-assisted suicide can be defined as intentionally helping a person commit suicide by providing drug for self-administration at that person's voluntary and competent request. Most commonly, a patient that is approved for physician-assisted suicide is prescribed a high-dose barbiturate, which gets mixed with water and drink. The medication causes them to fall asleep shortly after, and they pass within several hours. There are conditions in place to prevent corrosion or influence by medical professionals or the family of those who are terminally ill. It's a lengthy process. Two physicians must confirm the diagnosis, prognosis, and mental competence. And there are multiple waiting periods where the patient's request must be reconfirmed. Independent studies have evaluated and confirmed that these laws are effective and not abused. Dr. Kevorkian has left a lasting end to some controversial legacy on America and the medical community. Dr. Kevorkian became the face of the physician-assisted suicide movement in the 90s, although he was defiant and may not have been the greatest representation for the cause. He advocated for both medically-assisted suicide and euthanasia. His haunting appearance, bizarre terminology for his tools, and actions surrounding the metasides, and a seeming lifelong obsession with death made him a fascinating subject for the news media. He also created conversation around the controversial topic. His niece said, quote, It's thanks to my uncle that people have changed the way they feel about it and are discussing it with their doctors. Carol Loving, mother of one of Dr. Kevorkian's patients, said, quote, It is impossible for me to express the blessing of your assistance and the gratitude I feel as a mother, end quote. Kevorkian became close with many of his patients' families who staunchly supported him, and they even asked to support his legal bills. The 2014 Medscape Ethics Report, a survey of 17,000 U.S. doctors, found that 54% of doctors surveyed think physician-assisted suicide should be permitted, and this was up 8 percentage points from the 2010 survey. He's seen as a hero to some and a villain to others. The founder and director of the Right to Die organization Exit International has said that Kevorkian, quote, moved the debate forward in ways the rest of us can only imagine. He started at a time when it was hardly talked about and got people thinking about the issue. He paid one hell of a price, and that is one of the hallmarks of true heroism, end quote. One patient's family member called Dr. Kevorkian a, quote, unquote, humanitarian doctor. 
His defense team compared him to the great martyrs of intellectual and medical history persecuted for advocating ideas ahead of their time. But his critics viewed him as a cold-blooded killer who preyed on those suffering from chronic pain and depression. And some also viewed him as a zealot who could not behave as a responsible medical professional. And for some more recent information, in 2017, a Gallup poll indicated that 73% of respondents were in favor of euthanasia in the U.S. and 67% were in favor of doctor-assisted suicide. The topic of physician-assisted suicide is still controversial decades after Dr. Kevorkian's work was publicized. Here are some of the most popular arguments for and against the practice. So I'll be discussing the supportive stance. Many people believe that ending one's life is a human right, particularly for those who are terminally ill and suffering from indescribable pain or impairment. The suffering should be entitled to a peaceful, dignified death, and they should be able to decide on their own, not have decisions made by the government. It's argued that this is a matter of patient autonomy and choice. Many who witness the slow death of others believe that assisted death should be allowed. It can also help loved ones in their grieving process. Quality of life comes into question, especially for those suffering from terminal illnesses. Some say it makes more sense to channel the resources of highly skilled staff, equipment, hospital beds, and medication towards life-saving treatments for those who wish to live rather than those who do not. And finally, we already do it. If a beloved pet is suffering, it's seen as an act of kindness to put them to sleep. So why should this kindness be denied to humans? And of course, there are several arguments against euthanasia. This includes the fear of a lack of oversight at the moment of death, fear of normalizing this process to the degree that patients will feel that they must relieve their families of the burden they are inflicting by living with their illnesses. And this fear is a particular concern for disability groups. There is a concern that decisions will be made by others on behalf of those too ill to speak for themselves. There's also this question around that the job of a physician is to find ways to eliminate patient suffering, not the patient themselves. Many do not believe that a physician is qualified to make the decision to assist in ending a life. The practice is prohibited by the 2,500-year-old Hippocratic Oath. Many healthcare professionals may be unwilling to compromise their professional roles to assist in a suicide. Morally, there is an argument that euthanasia will weaken society's respect for the sanctity of life. Many religions view it as murder. There is also a risk that hospital personnel might have an economic incentive to encourage euthanasia. Mental illness may play a role in an individual's choice of physician-assisted suicide, and so there's a question of the competency of the patient to consent to this. And the final thing is that there are hospice and palliative care services that can be offered. We did previously talk about our opinions on physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia in our episode on Conrad Roy and Michelle Carter. But Del, can you share your thoughts on that again for us? Absolutely. So I am against euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. I think that everyone's life should end by natural means and that people's death should not be hastened by outside forces. I do think that it's a moral imperative that we respect life 
And euthanasia definitely goes against that. I definitely agree with many of the arguments that people state for being against euthanasia. And I think it's one of those things where it's very hard to reconcile that a physician is supposed to be there to make sure that you stay healthy, but also a physician can be there to help you in your life. I don't think that those two sides can be reconciled. I also definitely agree with the disability groups when they are voicing concerns that euthanasia can be used as a way to eliminate certain disabilities. How about you? So I do support physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia, but I will say I do agree with a lot of the arguments against it, or at least I'm very understanding, um, particularly the disability rights groups. And the argument about being like a potential economic incentive, I would never have thought about that. So I do see where those groups are coming from, and it definitely adds to uh, my support of like restriction of euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. But for me personally, it really comes down to quality of life and having a right to deciding how you'd like to die and deciding, I guess, when you'd like to go. The cases that we talked about, Thomas Yope and Janet Adkins, they weren't going to get better. So I understand why they would want to pass peacefully before they had to suffer even more. So that's kind of what comes down to it for me, this quality of life argument and that it should be a right and a, a patient's choice. So that leads us to where is euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide legal? Medically assisted death is legal in several areas of the world. Spain, the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Canada, and New Zealand all legally allow for assisted suicide and euthanasia. Switzerland, Finland, Germany, and the Australian state of Victoria permit physician-assisted suicide, and euthanasia is legal in Colombia. Euthanasia and assisted suicide are on the rise in several countries. According to The Guardian, statistics from Switzerland show that the numbers of those living in the country who underwent assisted suicide rose from 187 in 2003 to 965 in 2015. In the Netherlands, a majority of those who died by assisted suicide or euthanasia were living with cancer. And something that could be troubling, and I would say is definitely an argument against physician-assisted suicide, would be that suicide tourism exists, meaning people traveling from other countries for assisted suicide purposes. So the U.S. states of Oregon, Washington, Vermont, Maine, Hawaii, California, Colorado, and New Jersey, and the District of Columbia allow eligible terminally ill patients to legally seek medical assistance in dying. However, even where legally entitled to receive the information and assistance with exercising this right, some hospitals forbid physicians from doing so. Where do you see physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia moving in America in the future? So I think that euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide are going to go along the same lines of abortion, where more liberal states are going to allow euthanasia and the more conservative states are going to outlaw it. And I think that on a federal level, I don't see a euthanasia bill passing, not at this point in time. How about you? I agree. I think more states will probably allow it, but I don't think it will ever be completely normalized and accepted. And I know that's an argument against it, but 
I just don't see that ever happening to the point where it's so normal that everyone that's in a hospital that has some type of terminal illness is offered these services. I can't see that happening. I wonder if, you know, maybe if this goes on the rise, if other types of end of life care will improve like palliative care and hospice care. But I kind of don't see that happening either at kind of the place we're at now. I think it should definitely. And I think more people do need to talk about end of life care and death. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about Dr. Kravorkian and assisted suicide. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on the murder of Tejano music star Selena. As always, stay safe.